Well, welcome back to our last week on Thought Bubbles, and we've been looking at a four-step process. How do we reflect on our thoughts? How do we capture our thoughts? How do we replace our thoughts? And then how does that bring about renewal in our life? And so since we did that song, Crazy, we thought it would be appropriate to bring up somebody who's known for being crazy uh, to speak this week. So can we give a warm welcome to our friend Chuck Mingo? Chuck, come on up, man. Appreciate you being here today. Thanks so much. <laughs> so Chad said, hey, I, what can I say that's exaggerated about you? I said, well, anything would be exaggerated. That's actually not exaggerated. I have been known for being crazy. So it is good to be with you guys always here at Horizon. Um, let's pray before we jump in. God, I thank you for just the ability that you have given us to connect with our minds and our hearts to you. I thank you that when we come into a place like this, that you are a real um, person and a personality that we can interact with and grow and learn from. And so I pray today that we would experience and encounter you in this time, and that what we experience and what we encounter would change our mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if we haven't met before, I am the campus pastor of Crossroads over in Oakley, and I love the series that you guys are in, Thought Bubbles, and just the idea of how powerful these things between our ears are. Our minds are very powerful. Thoughts are really powerful. I, I think of a story that happened when I was pretty young, and I have always been a kid who took things very literally. You know, people say like, oh, if you want to imagine an elephant in the room, go ahead and do that. Well, I'm one of those kids that if I did that, I would actually see E-L-E-P-H-A-N-T. Like I was that literal in my life. And so I remember my next door neighbor getting married and my mom was going over right next door to their house and I wanted to go to the celebration, the party. It wasn't the wedding. It was something called a wedding shower. It was the first time I had heard that term. I didn't know what a wedding shower was. And so I remember saying, well, mom, I want to go. I want to go to a wedding shower. And my mom just had this look that was just like, kids don't go to wedding showers, Chuck. That's just not what kids do. And I don't know, I'm like seven or eight, and so, you know, I, I kind of took that as, as gospel. My mom said kids don't go to a wedding shower. But in my mind, I started wondering, well, what actually happens at a wedding shower? And why couldn't kids go to a wedding shower? So, you know, I remember fast-forwarding and getting married, and um, my wife actually wanted to have a wedding shower. And I remember kind of saying, like, I don't know if I'm comfortable having a wedding shower. And, and, and she didn't understand why. And I had to explain to her at the ripe old age of 26 that, well, I thought that that was when the married couple, like, got in the shower and people were there to kind of celebrate. They're, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Like, the power of thoughts. Thoughts are really powerful. And um, literally, I thought that for probably too long, that that's exactly what happened in a wedding shower. So if you're out there and you were wondering, that's not what a wedding shower is. You can just relax. That's not what happens. Um, but it just reminds me of the power of our thoughts. Thoughts are really powerful. Sometimes we can actually have minds that have a mind of their own. And that's especially true when it comes to our anxious thoughts. I have a friend of mine who likes to say that the United States is the home of the free and the land of the fear. And I think in many ways that is very true. We just get sophisticated in how we talk about fear. None of us come out and say, I'm afraid. Here are the things I'm afraid of. No, we say, I'm stressed. We like that word, you know, because if you're stressed, it means you're important, right? If you're stressed, it means you have something to be stressed about. So we like using that word stress, or we say we're hypervigilant, and we might say we're guarded. But the truth is, to be fearful is to be American these days. There's some statistics that kind of bear that out. Here's one of the statistics. One in five Americans are on medication for anxiety and depression. One in five. And if you look at extreme levels of anxiety, it's actually trending toward 
even higher than that. So we are a stressed out people. We are a fearful people. These are all other ways to be fearful. The other thing that I think is striking is the younger you are, the more likely you are to be stressed. You would think that's not the case. But the truth is, from generation to generation, if you look at different generations, the millennials have a higher level of stress than the Xers do. The Xers had a higher level of stress than the boomers do. And you can go right on up the generational chart. So I think there's something for us to learn about fear. I think there's something for us to learn about our anxious thoughts. How can the truth of the Bible come and actually heal our anxious thoughts? Well, Jesus has some opinions about that. And one of the places that Jesus kind of invites us into thinking differently about our anxiety is when he says this in Mark 1.15. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. How many people know there's good news today? There's good news. Despite all that's going on, there's good news. And I love this verse because Jesus invites us to take notice of the time that we're in. The word that he uses here for time is not the word chronological time, the passage of time. Jesus is using a special word. It's the word kairos. And what he means is there is a moment in time. You ever have one of those moments in time where things stand still? And what Jesus is saying is, it's that kind of time. And in that time, there is an invitation. And what's the invitation? The invitation is to repent. Now, I don't know about you, but when I often heard the word repent in the church environments that I grew up in, repentance meant like the people that came down the middle of the aisle and they were crying, and sometimes they needed a tissue because they were doing more than just crying. Like, that was repentance. And what Jesus says here is, he uses this word repentance is, you know what? It simply means to change your mind. So Jesus invites you and he invites us regularly into places where our minds are playing tricks on us and anxiety and anxious thoughts is a place where that can happen. And Jesus says, I want to invite you in this moment to change your mind. And you've been talking about that in this series. As Chad said, this four-step process of reflecting on your thoughts, capturing your thoughts, replacing them with thoughts that are more aligned to God's truth and renewing your thoughts, that's actually a process of repentance. That's what repentance looks like. So if you've been walking through that process, you've been experiencing repentance and hopefully you've been experiencing the sweetness that comes with it. It really is an amazing invitation. And as it relates to fear, I know personally what it feels like to receive this invitation from Jesus. One of the moments in my life that's kind of etched into my brain, I'll never forget, is a day when I was working at P&G before I came on staff at Crossroads. I worked at P&G and I had a, a, a job that caused me to drive on the road a lot. And I remember I was driving down 71. I was coming from Akron and I was coming back um, home and I got to right around the Columbus area when I literally blacked out in my car. And I came to in an instant and I was just sweating, shaking, didn't know what to do. I don't know how I got over to the side of the road. I don't know how I got off the exit. But I just, like, immediately stopped at the first place I could. I was at the Polaris Mall. If anybody knows that, I just happened to be at the Polaris Mall. And I got into this restaurant. I'm just shaking. I'm freaking out. I'm like, maybe I'm just hungry. Maybe I need food. And so I did that. I ate, and I still was kind of feeling a little bit jittery. And I called my doctor back in Cincinnati. And I'm like, I-, I need to come to see you now. Like, I need to come right now to come see you. And so I drove the rest of the way. I don't know how I did that. But I drove to the doctor. And the doctor looks at me. And because I'm African-American and because of some other things in my family, he immediately starts going down the path of, we need to see if something's going on with your heart. And so they started doing all these tests, and they had a halter monitor on me, and they were monitoring my heart rate, and all of these things, and that came out negative. And then they started doing other tests. They said, well, maybe you were having vertigo. And so they started to do tests of testing your inner ear. I don't know if you ever had your inner ear tested or not. What they do is they give you vertigo 
Ouch. And it came back negative. So I was nauseous for nothing. But anyway, it's like all these things happen in my life. And they're checking test after test after test. And then immediately after that, after all the tests came back, my doctor said, hey, I need to come and talk with you. And he said, you know, come on in. So I came on in and he said, hey, the truth is we have checked you from head to toe. And we don't see anything wrong. But there's one part of you that I can't check. And it's your mind. And what he said is, I think that you're having anxiety attacks. I think that's what's going on with you. And so sure enough, that was a moment in my life that is etched in my memory because I was one of those one in five Americans that was on anxiety uh, medications because that was something that I couldn't control in my life. It was a powerful experience for me. And God has helped me walk down a path of embracing the peace that he offers and not embracing anxiety. But I still have anxious thoughts. I still have anxious weeks. In fact, I had an anxious week this week. You ever wake up revved up is what I call it? Like immediately, your first thought is, I got it, I got it. And there's something behind that, right? I call this person today. I got to do this. I forgot to do this. And I was, I was having one of those weeks. And in the midst of that, God once again invited me into a process of repentance. And he used the verse that I want to focus in on for the rest of the time that speaks to me about the invitation to not live in anxiety, but in fact to embrace the peace of God. It comes from the book of Philippians, which is a letter that was written to the New Testament church. And Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this verse is a verse that I have read a lot. I've memorized this verse. But I found myself having a week and having thoughts that were inconsistent with the truth of this verse. And God again invited me to change my mind. And in fact, I journaled that day. um, And these are some of the words that I wrote that day. I wrote, be anxious for nothing. Well, the word that describes my heart's first conscious thought this morning was anxious. Be anxious for nothing? Really? For nothing? I was anxious about everything. These words from Paul can seem absurd, especially when life's throwing me multiple curveballs at once. But when I hear these words, instantly there's a longing for them to be true. Be anxious for nothing. Is it a command or a promise? What if it's both? And where that took me is where I want to take you. Because the big idea that I got in that morning and have continued to God as I've meditated on this verse is this. When you give God a piece of your mind, he gives you a piece of his. When you give God a piece of your mind, he gives you a piece of his. Now, a lot of times for me, when I'm looking at a verse that's familiar, I find it helpful to read it in a different translation. And there's one translation I've been kind of going to lately. It's a, actually a paraphrase of the Bible. It's the message. And this is how this verse reads in the message. The writer says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. So one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is what is the peace of God? Because what this verse offers us is the peace of God. It seems that there's something that we can actually have if we're in a relationship with God that looks like peace. And it doesn't look like peace only when there's peaceful situations. It doesn't look like peace in the absence of problems. It looks like it's actually a peace 
that passes over all those things and can exist despite all those things being true. So if that's the case, what is the peace of God? And what I learned is the peace of God is the opposite of worry. Duh, Chuck, I didn't have to come to church on Sunday morning to learn that. That peace is the opposite of worry. It is. It is. And what's interesting about that is the word for worry that's used in this text is the word merimnate in the Greek. That's the Greek word for letter worry. It literally means to be in pieces. But what struck me about this word is it kind of reminds me of the English word marinate. Marinate. And what happens when you marinate something? I mean, what happens when you marinate a good piece of meat, whatever your meat of choice is? If you're a vegetarian or vegan, I'm sorry. I don't know if you can marinate tofu and get the same result. Maybe you can. But what happens when you marinate meat? There's something getting absorbed in the meat, right? There are seasonings, there are flavors getting absorbed. It changes the texture of the meat. And here's the thing we have to realize. When we worry, that's exactly what we're doing with our fears. We are allowing those fears to be absorbed into our brain. We are allowing those fears to marinate and become our reality. And what this verse says is there is something opposite of that. And that thing is the peace of God. What is the peace of God then? Tim Keller, who is a pastor that I greatly respect, defines peace of God this way. He says it's the confidence and trust in God's wise control of your life. I don't know about you, but usually when I'm worrying, I am trying to, or at least questioning, whether God's really got this thing. And so the opposite of that is the peace of God. It is the confidence that God's got this thing. Even if it looks like things are going crazy around you, that we can have confidence in God's wise control of our life. Well, if that's what it means to have the peace of God, I'll take me some of that, thank you very much. And if you want that too, then how do we get that? Well, the verse says there are two ways that we get that. The first is we get that in prayer. In prayer. I love how this verse says, but in everything by prayer. But in everything by prayer. One of the things I've been learning is in everything, yes, everything, everything, we need to pray. We need to be in a constant dialogue with God about our anxiety. Because the truth is, anxious thoughts are not wordless thoughts, right? When you're having anxious thoughts, there's that voice in your head, and that voice is saying things to you over and over again. Did you know that worrying and praying is actually the same thing? Think about it. It's the same thing. The only difference is the direction that those words are going. When you're worrying, you're doing what prayer is. Because when you're worrying, you know what you're doing? You're saying, oh my goodness, everything could go wrong today. These are the things that could go wrong today. Here are the five things that are still not resolved with this problem. And if this person does it, you're, you're, you're talking to yourself. When you pray, you're doing the same thing. You're just directing that to God. And you're saying, God, there are like five things that can go wrong today. You know these five things. And if you could help with these five things, that's prayer. It's the very same thing. And we have to lean into that and believe that. In fact, William Henderson said, the cure for worry is prayer. The cure for worry is prayer. We can either be absorbed in our fears or we can be absorbed in the presence of a God who has our our lives in his hands. I learned so much from my kids. I have three young kids and I love being a dad. And one of the things that I'm reminded of every time I interact with my kids, it'll happen today, is how easy it is for my kids to ask me for anything (laughs) over and over and over again, right? I remember a comedian said that his kids nicknamed him. He, didn't, he wasn't called dad to his kids. His kids gave him a new nickname. His nickname was Dad Can I. Because every time they came to him, it was like, Dad, can I get this? Dad, can I get a dollar? Dad, can I go to this? And so my kids, it reminds me that my kids don't have a problem asking me for anything over and over again. And guess what? You have a father in heaven who loves it when you ask him for things. 
He loves it when you ask him for things. Let me tell you, I had to learn this lesson. You know what spiritual maturity looks like as a follower of Jesus? You know what spiritual maturity looks like if you're trying to overcome worry and you're in relationship with Jesus? It doesn't look like, okay, I just need to quiet my mind and embrace the peace that is here. That, that's Eastern philosophy. That's not, that's not biblical philosophy. It also doesn't mean, you know what, I'm just not going to say the word fear. I'm just going to remove that word from my, I might be concerned about something, but I'm not going to say I'm afraid of it. No, that's religious striving, and that doesn't work either. You know what God wants us to do with our fears? Dad, can I, Dad, can I, Dad, can I, Dad, can I tell you about this thing that's going on in my life? Daddy, can I tell you about this thing that's going on? Daddy, 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 Daddy. If you do that with God, you are, you are a mature follower of Jesus. That's what maturity looks like for us in everything prayer. And so one of the ways that we have to lean in and understand that we can embrace peace is if we embrace the fact that we have a father who loves it when we ask him for things. We have a father who loves it when we marinate with him on the things that we're afraid of instead of marinating in our own mind and believing that he's not in control, that he's not concerned. We access God's peace through prayer and we access God's peace in Christ. In Christ. Again, the verse says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know what I love? This isn't something that you've got to work yourself into. This isn't something that's about you and what you can do. I love that it says that, man, when we just surrender, God, I'm afraid. I need help. That we get a peace that actually guards our heart and mind. That word guard is a military term. What it means is the peace of God actually serves as a referee and a goalie and blocks away the things that would take away our peace. When we just come to God and say, I need you to help me with that. It's a powerful, it's a powerful promise from God. You know, it's interesting, this word in Christ, this phrase in Christ, it shows up a lot in the New Testament. One of the interesting things for me is do you know how many times the word Christian shows up in the Bible? Only three. Only three times. And yet, this phrase, being in Christ, is clearly the predominant definition, the predominant picture of what it means to be a Christian. It means that there is a dynamic relationship we have with the very God who is Jesus Christ. And that phrase shows up 164 times. In the New Testament. And so what does it mean to be in Christ? John R. W. Stott, a great theologian from a, a time ago, said this. He said, it means to be organically united to Christ. As a limb is in the body or a branch is in the tree. It is this personal relationship with Christ that is the distinctive mark of his authentic followers. You know what he's describing? He's saying, if you are in relationship with Jesus, you should be marinating in that relationship. It should be this organic, dynamic thing that you know, no matter what the circumstance looks like, I am connected to Christ. I am connected to him. And the beautiful thing that comes out of that connection that I think the message really captures well is it says, it's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. So let me ask you a question. If I were to ask you right now, what is at the center of your life? What do you care most about? What matters most to you? How would you answer that question? How would you answer that question? I want you to think about what that is. I want you to answer it. I want you to really think about it. Sit in that for a moment. What matters most to you in life?
Now, I don't know every answer in here, but I'm guessing whatever you answered is a really good thing. I would imagine that if you said, you know what, my family is what matters most to me in life, that's a really good thing. I would imagine if you said, you know what, helping my kids get to a place that's beyond where I am, that's what matters most to me in my life. You know what, my life's about service. I want to make a difference in the lives of other people. I don't know what you would put at the middle of that, but I bet you that's a really good thing. Here's the challenge for us, though. We can often make that good thing our ultimate thing. And so when we find ourselves worrying, sometimes it's a clue that we've made a good thing an ultimate thing. What we worry about oftentimes indicates what we worship. And so I had to learn this lesson. And it happened for me this week as I was thinking through the things that I was so concerned about, the things that had me up at night. There was work stress that had me up at night. And there were things going on in my family that had me up at night. And when I started to pray and say, God, I need your help. I'm worried. I'm fearful. here's Here's the humbling insight that I came to. Everything that I'm most concerned with is connected to how I define my value and self-worth. Ouch. That was a humbling, that was a difficult revelation to come to. But I wonder again, if I ask you that question, what are you worried about right now? What are you anxious about or what are you prone to become anxious about? I wonder if that similar insight might not apply to you, that maybe there's a a good thing that you've made or can make an ultimate thing in your life. And that's the very place where you need to say, you know what, how does it look for Jesus to displace this thing, whatever it is, as the center of my life? How does it look? How does that happen? What does it look like for me to change that? I, I don't know about you, but I want to change that. I want Jesus at the center of my life. I don't want the things that I worry about at the center of my life because I know ultimately those things don't satisfy and Jesus does. Ultimately those things don't bring peace and Jesus does. And so I want to see a displacement of the things that I worry about in place of Jesus. And here's the thing. It only happens. It only happens if I go back to that marinating mindset. If I go back to that marinating mindset and say, I I need to be in prayer and I need to be in Christ, dynamically connected, dynamically related, so that I experience the peace of God. So I asked the question earlier, is this a command or is this a promise? When these words are written, is this saying, don't be anxious. If you're anxious, you're bad. You're a bad Christian if you're anxious. Is that what these words are saying? Because if that's the case, I'm a bad Christian a lot. I don't know anybody else in here. I'm a bad Christian a lot. Is that what this is or is this a promise? Here's an interesting thing. Let's read this verse in reverse. Let's do a mind trick on ourselves. Let's read this verse in reverse and see how it reads. If I just take one phrase and move it to the end, here's what this verse now says. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So, do not be anxious about anything. I think it's a promise. I think it's an invitation. And I think that this verse shows us how to lean into the Prince of Peace. Because when you allow Jesus to be the Prince of Peace in your life, when you allow him to bring peace to your life, man, it changes everything. And that happens when you bring him your hopes. That happens when you bring him your dreams. That happens when you bring him your fears. That happens when you bring him your prayers. He becomes, he becomes for you the Prince of Peace. So what does all this mean? What does it mean for you on Monday? What does it mean for you in the week that's coming up? What does it mean as you think about your life? 
I think it means different things to us, maybe based on where we are. For, for some of us, I think you need to repent. I, I, I think there's an invitation on the table for you to change your mind. For you to think differently about something that's been keeping you up at night. For you to think differently about what it looks like to handle that thing that's keeping you up at night as a mature follower of Jesus. Why would you not want to take up this promise? I don't think any of us in our anxious moments get excited about that. I don't think any of us want to stay in that place. And I want you to know there's an invitation on the table for you to change your mind. To not be anxious, but instead to receive the peace of God. Now, for some of us, maybe we need to wrestle with this idea of being in Christ. Maybe there is something, not something, someone for you to receive to experience this peace. You know, I find oftentimes that we can think that going to church is about meeting the God of helpful principles. It's about meeting a God who helps us live our life better. It's about meeting a God who has some good stuff to say about how we're already doing the things that we're doing already. We don't don't recognize that what we're invited into is not the God of helpful principles. You're invited to experience and embrace the Prince of Peace. You're invited to allow him to lead your life. You're invited to allow him to change your priorities. And man, if you've never received that, if you've never said yes to Jesus in that way, I just want you to know that that invitation is on the table and on the other side of that is a true peace. It's a lasting peace. It's a supernatural peace. And it's for you. It's for you because Jesus is for you. Jesus came and he gave his life for you. Jesus came and took the hit for all of the things that were separating you from God, that were separating you from God's peace. He came and did that for you. And when you say, you know what, I'm willing to give you my life since you gave your life for me. Man, you experience a peace that really does pass all understanding. So maybe some of us need to receive that today. Maybe that's the invitation we need to accept. I think for all of us, there's probably one thing. There's probably one thing that has a tendency to keep us anxious. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, you might have a time this week. When being reminded of this is helpful to you. So if that's the case, go ahead and take this program out that you got when you came in. Hopefully everyone got one of these. And on the page where there's notes, you'll see a little post-it note here. You don't have to take yours out. I just want to show it to you so you can see it. And I want you to do something with this post-it note. I want you to write on this post-it note, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. I want you to write that scripture reference down. And it's okay if you misspell Philippians. I do it all the time. Don't even sweat it. Do not be anxious about misspelling Philippians. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. And I want to invite you to put this post-it note in a place that's connected to the thing that might make you anxious. So don't just put it on your refrigerator unless you're anxious about eating. Put it in a place where it's going to be most helpful for you to marinate on this truth when you really need it. For some of us, this needs to go on our iPhone or our Android. For some of us, this post-it note needs to go at work. It needs to show up somewhere on our job. We need to put it somewhere. For others of us, it needs to go somewhere else. Maybe it needs to go on your calendar as you're looking at the day where something's happening this week that you're uncertain about. And maybe you need to put this post-it note on that day of the calendar. Wherever it is, I want to invite you to do that. And I want to invite you to marinate on the truth that the Prince of Peace wants to give you peace. Now, the other thing that you may want to do, you want to challenge yourself 
What would it look like to just pray? To pray about that thing that would keep you anxious. What would it look like to just pray regularly and continually, as much as you're reminded by that post-it note, as much as you pass it, to just pray, to just offer it up to God, to even just say, God, how, how am I feeling today? This is something that keeps me anxious. God, would you, would you just bring peace to this situation in my life? love for you to pray that way. Maybe a next step, challenge yourself even further, would be pray with someone else about it. What would it look like for you to share with someone, this is the thing that keeps me up at night? And I would love for you to pray that I would experience God's peace in this area. A great way to do that for me is in community. I'm so thankful to be in groups where I can talk to people about my anxiety and fears and they can help me live into the peace of God that is mine through my relationship with Jesus. If you're not in a group, I know there's some great groups starting around Horizon. There's information about it in your program. I'd encourage you to get connected in a group with people because these are the kinds of life challenges that are so much better when you have community with you to journey with. And so if you've been interested in exploring that, you want to kick the tires on that, hey, jump into a group. Give it a try. See if God doesn't use that to bring you more peace. I know that after every service in the hearth room, there are people that are available to pray and to connect you to other resources. Maybe that's where you need to go today. Whatever it is, I would just invite you to change your mind, to recognize that the Prince of Peace wants to bring you peace. And don't leave that invitation on the table. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your invitation to peace. Thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you for how we can have a change of mind that completely reframes our reality, even in the midst of the circumstances not being what we want them to be. So God, for each and every person in here, you know what it is that keeps us up at night. And I know that you want to be our peace in that situation. I pray that we would receive that invitation from you in Jesus' name. Amen.